Mm. Oh yeah. I didn't make I very extensive notes except silent. at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is my standard practice with all of the books that we've done so far. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to really keep good writerly notes. And then I'm like, but the book is now interesting. And, and I, I, just, I forgot <laughs> to do that. I <laughs> have not taken any notes in 14 chapters or the book is so terrible that taking notes won't change anything. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's like it's when we just, used to do notes for movies mm-hmm. and we do like, three notes at the beginning and then get interested in the movie mm-hmm. or yep. do three notes at the beginning and then get super bored with the movie and switch over to Twitter instead of notes. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I, I often like I, that is essentially what has happened to me is I was like, okay, I've really taken specific things. Like I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this, but the thing, well, I'll say that when we get to the actual, actual book, but like, the further in you go, like the the less there is. What I was trying to do originally was at the end of every chapter, be like, okay, the chapter ended, gonna bust out some notes. Like, yeah, but there's ah, one chapter that's literally a paragraph long. Was it what? really? Yeah, there's one chapter. That. It's like maybe three minutes long, what two and your, a half. What are your thoughts like, on that as a writer? Like, because that always seems like it's very stylistic. Like, ooh, look it, at me. Okay. I did like a. It's, it's I did a like a one paragraph. Bernard, char- it's a scene chapter. with Bernard and Amara, uh-huh. and it's it's like just related to like the whole cave incident thing. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's. But it, it's there oh, so to it's just help there keep they... the plates spinning, like oh, okay, that to make sense, sure yeah. that you keep in mind that these characters are in the middle of this situation. Right, but I'm asking you, but as like, writers, do you think that that's like? I don't really like it. Like, find a better way of incorporating it into a actual chapter, or I, that seems like it's just a footnote. That, I, that style felt, of writing, it felt like a footnote for this one, especially because all of the other chapters were much longer, mm-hmm. and like this is the only one that's that way, and so it didn't feel right in context with the whole rest of the book. Um, I've seen it done well. This one felt like I literally went back and listened to it again, and was like, "That was a chapter." Like, what? Mm-hmm. We might should introduce ourselves <laughs> since we're just going ahead and talking about the book. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get there. Okay. I'm just, I'm just curious. Like, this isn't even. I think I'm, I'm not even asking about this <laughs> within the context of a book. I just don't want all this getting of, cut as a thing. <laughs> the book. No, I'm I'm not even asking about this within the okay, context yeah, of the no, book I, we're talking about. I'm asking as writers, like do you technique. think that the, the technique of, oh, I have to remind you guys of something, so like here's one paragraph in its own chapter just to tell you guys what's happening, and then we're going to get back to the rest of the story. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea, and I think that I since I didn't actually notice that that was that short in this one, um, like it didn't it obviously didn't bother me in this uh but something that can be used effectively or yeah i mean i think it's i think it's like any tool in in the writer's toolbox like you can you can do this well or you can mess it up but you know uh sure sure but we also know that with with any craft there are certain tools that you can point at and be like yeah that's 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 just lazy this has a very specific use and you are not using it for that very specific use right and (laughs) i guess that's what i'm asking i think for for me in in this case it felt jarring because it was so short obviously he didn't notice it so it might not it might have just been me i have seen authors that will like they'll like do a chapter that has a section from each perspective and that's worked but the like calling it a chapter Mm -hmm. because you changed viewpoints for a paragraph just didn't didn't work for me like it, I think it just depends on like how you're, if you're trying to do it for consistency's sake. Like if your consistent thing is when I change per point of view, I jump to a different, it's a new chapter. Yeah. I, I can see that being useful. and Which I can is definitely see, like, what he was doing there. Yeah. The thing was like, he's not consistent with his points of view. Mm-hmm. Like, like he doesn't, like one, he doesn't two, do like one chapter with this person and one chapter with this person and one chapter with this person. Speaking of not consistent with their points of view. <laughs> hi, I'm Josh Birch. 
I'm a student here in Nashville, and uh, I'm a wall full of arms. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Michael. I'm also an aspiring author. Oh, wait, I'm not a student. I'm an aspiring author, and I'm still kind of afraid of the board, and it's been like two weeks since I finished this book. (laughs) I'm Rick Fox. I'm an aspiring author, and uh, you know the the funny thing about giant wolfmen is they have bad breath. And we're opinionated. And today we are reviewing Academ's Fury. Uh, For those who don't know, this is going to be one of our uh, opinionated book club podcasts. Uh, we're going to be talking about a book that uh, Rick and Michael have both read, and I have no idea anything about it. Uh, Academ's Fury was written by Jim Butcher. Uh, it was published by Ace Books in 2005 and currently holds a 4.6 out of 5 How? on Audible. Again, 4.6? We, we, we established with Dragonhaven that it is not hard to get uh, a high score on this, and mm-hmm. this is a much better book than Dragonhaven. That is true. That is true. I, I admit <clears throat> defeat. For centuries, the people of Alera have harnessed the Furies, elementals of earth, air, fire, water, wood, and metal, to protect their land from aggressors. But no Fury can save them from the dangers they face from within. A mysterious attack from across the sea has weakened the First Lord. Should he fall, a bloody civil war is inevitable. The responsibility of fending off the assassination attempts and treachery within the First Lord's circle of spies falls on Tavi, the one man with no fury no to call. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so this is actually the sequel to um, a book that we've done previously on uh, the Opinionated Book Club. Mm-hmm. What was the what was the first part of this series? Furies of Calderon. Mm-hmm. Furies of Calderon. And so we're coming back. We're looping it back around. We're coming in with a second book. Mm-hmm. Um, we've been talking briefly about a specific chapter in the book. I, I haven't read it, so I have no idea what's going on. Um, and you're going to have to remind me because right. it's been a while since we've recorded the uh, Furies of Calderon episode, and I still haven't read it. Let's, so I think um, a good place to start then will be to give a quick refresher on the characters. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. um, do you want me to do it? Do you want to split it up? How do you want to? I remember, I remember you've got Tavi, who's uh, Tavi's kind of without a fury, mm-hmm. and yep. also now he's some beast chicks beast or he's something, her Pokemon. Right? He's her Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> he is her Pikachu. <laughs> yes. The, she no. is mind melded with him as as her horse instead of a horse and she's pissed about it. Yeah, exactly, she's still yeah. pissed about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got Tavi. It's been two years, I think, about that since then, roughly. So like he's how him. many years old now? He's now 17. Yeah. Okay, young adult now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Still no Furies. Still no Furies. Nothing oh. has happened on that mm-hmm. front at all. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really awkward when, I, when that happens. Gosh. He has gone from living in a very rural setting to living in one of the, in I think, the biggest city in the in this in country. Um, With his uh, Beastmaster friend? No. she. No. They so have been separated this if entire If you remember, oh. at the end of Furies of Calderon, Gaius, the first lord, who's like basically the king yeah he's um, like the king with all the god powers right he has all the yeah. god powers yeah he came to calderon and gave them all his blessing mm-hmm. and he offered tavi a spot in the academy oh so tavi went with the first lord to join the academy under the first lord's pa- patronage patronage yeah. however you say that basically and this, the and first this academy so, is the hey folks that don't have furies come here to get smart no, the... Tavi's literally the only person that has no okay. furies. So, so it's a lot just... of people have weak furies, but he has none, and that's mm-hmm. super weird. Yeah, 
Um, but this is essentially a place that people go one to learn how to do Fury stuff, but they also learn things like mathematics and all that. It's it's a okay. it's a big it's a big college essentially. Sure. Um, but one of the other things that's important to know is that this is a place where a lot of uh, what's called cursors are. Um, recruited and Amara from the previous book and Fidelius from the previous book were both, both cursors. And that's and spies? Essentially a spy. Basically. Yes. Okay. And over kind the course of like of- spies slash mailmen. Right. Yeah. Their they, cover is that they they carry messages. Exactly. For the First Lord specifically. Correct. Um, but they're also a they are a spy organization. And if I recall correctly, uh, in the last book, the plot was one of the Gaius. One of Gaius's one of the trusted spies. Trusted yeah. Lord, him in the back. Yeah. It was like I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get this war to happen so that uh, people don't have faith in Gaius anymore? It, it Sort of. Like, what it was is he wanted to, a incident to happen which would weaken the First Lord's position, which would make it easier for another guy to take power. Essentially, mm-hmm. he wants that guy to take power because he doesn't want there to be a big, bloody civil war. Um, he thinks that that may be inevitable, but if it is, he wants to get it started sooner rather than later because he thinks that will make it a less bloody transition. Right, right, right. right. And I'm going to go ahead and pause and is, say for our listeners, if all of this sounds like gibberish to you, you should check you should out Definitely. Our first opinionated book club uh, episode where we talk about the Furies of Calderon. Absolutely. Uh, because yes. that will do a really good job kind of laying the groundwork for whatever we're about to talk exactly. about. Exactly. And really also, will. it's a super entertaining podcast that you'll enjoy. Exactly. Um, and a super entertaining book that you should also no, enjoy. No, it's not. <laughs> At least after the first half. You have to make it through the first two thirds before it gets interesting. Half. Half. How much of, how much of what took place in the first book is... Uh, is either carried over or impacts what happens in this one. Cause I've, I have read, I have read, um, series mm-hmm. where from book to book to book, they might carry similar characters, but each book is pretty much its own self-contained story. And so, there's very few threads that tie the two between. So this together. is one place where, so Rick can attest to the fact that I don't like reading series. I'm not a series person. And mm-hmm. he is trying to convince me that this should change. Um, one thing that I thought Butcher did really well with this book, as opposed to the first book, is he did bring in key elements from the first book and he described them so that you would, your memory would be jogged about mm-hmm. what happened without just going into like a whole info dump on this is stuff that you should remember from the first book, but I know you don't, or I forgot to actually tell you. So, oops, here's mm-hmm. an info dump. Okay. He really did a good job of bringing in stuff, but not just boring you with the last book sure yeah that I think, said i don't think you could pick up this book and just start here without the first book because you, th- you think about harry potter right sure and it's like hey it doesn't matter which harry potter book i read if i get into it i can basically read that as a self-contained book it might help that i've read the previous one so i know who some characters are right but each one is pretty self-contained and it's its own story I yeah, think, Madeline Lingle's Wrinkle in Time series is definitely that way. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah, or or C.S. Lewis's uh, uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that you could pick this up and you'd, you'd get along fairly decently. Like, you would definitely be missing a lot of context, but I think you could get... You, you're you not going to be missing the entire story. Enough is given to you here that you could just kind of pick this up and go like, okay, I know I'm missing some stuff and some specific context of this stuff, but I get the general vibe of what's going on here and it's, it's not that hard to pick up. And I'm saying that as, you know, it's not like... Uh, you know, picking up book 
five of the Wheel of Time series. Like that's something where you're just going to be completely lost by everything. But sure. I think this there's enough there that you could do that. I wouldn't I, I wouldn't say that about like book five of this series. I was going to say, but could you do that with any of these? I don't think with this one. I think with uh, his other series, um, the Dresden Files. I think you can pick up most of those and at least have a good time with it. Sure. Um, but they are, I think, less direct sequels in some ways than this book. Um, this definitely feels like a continuation. It's like the scene, the scene closed, the scene opens again, and you you know all of these characters. Yeah. It's not like it's a separate story that's happening in a different time and place, like with the same characters involved. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a continuation of right. a story that's already been started. A lot, of, okay. a lot of the things in that book, the, the things that happen in there cause the events of this book. And I think that's something that makes Jim Butcher's uh, books and sequels especially really effective is that it he has a really good way of letting things, you know, hit other balls and then, you know, you, we move on to the next book and we get into th- where that ball has gone and mm-hmm. you find out what, what things have happened because of that and then that will clack into, you know, three more balls on the pool table. Oh, and- oh okay. I, I get your analogy. <laughs> Yeah, Too I should many have balls with, in that conversation. I should have, I should have mentioned. You well, should, you should have started the, it with like, "Oh, hey, you're on this pool table right, of balls," and so you've got the pole <laughs> right in your hand, and you're sliding. Uh, anyway, um. no. <laughs> no, but that 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 is interesting because I that sound that's an intriguing idea, at least for a book series where it's hey, sure. you know, this these of the events of this book happen, and it sends all of these other things scattering out. Where mm-hmm. man, what's going to happen with all of these other events or characters right. or situations and then let's go explore those in a separate book exactly like that's, that's a cool concept and i think i brought this up in the furies of calderon book but i think that one of the things that jim butcher works this the, one of the situations that jim butcher works best in is when he has a lot of his pieces already on the board you're at least reasonably familiar with them He's not and he can now and he can now like set, he can now move them into different places and and make give the give you interesting situations to bounce them off of so let's go let's let's give josh some characters right we did start off doing that so, so we've got Tavi. So we have mm-hmm. Tavi still he's mm-hmm. hanging out is it is does does this one still follow like five different people it does um but i would say it focuses more on two groups this mm-hmm. time yeah with some guest appearances yeah rather than really trying to set up five different perspectives which is more what it was doing the last book mm-hmm I would um, agree with that. I think that he he improved a lot on using his perspectives sure. uh, effectively. So we've got Tavi, and who's in his group? So Tavi is Tavi, mm-hmm. um, and Isana, his aunt, ends up aiming for his group. So I she's would say the water she's, bender, right? she's yes. yeah, she's okay. the she's the waterbender. Mm-hmm. Um, she's headed towards his group. So I would say she's kind of a side character in this one. Fidelius, I would say, also is sort ends of a side up in, character. in Tavi's group. Yeah. And Fidelius yeah. is Fidelius is he's the, person the bad guy from the, fir- from from the first, the first book. book. The oh, spy. Like the bad guy with noble intentions. The bad spy, yeah. Yeah, the, bad that. spy, noble intentions, doesn't want a civil war, sure, sure. thinks the first lord has gotten too weak to keep a civil war from he's happening. He's like he's like varies from uh, Game of Thrones. A little bit, where yeah. Where he's like, uh, you know, I'm gonna Work at causing all this mischief, but it's for the greater good. One of the things that Varys says in that show is that he's loyal to the realm, and that is and like That's almost exactly what much, yeah. Fidelius says. Fidelius. He, is, he is loyal to the realm. He sure. wants Alara to prosper. He doesn't care who the First Lord is. If another guy takes that th- that spot, he's down with that as long as it's what he doesn't care who rules as long as the as country long as itself the majority is of people and the country itself is doing well. Yeah. Um. So Isana and and Fidelius are both viewpoint characters in this story, just like okay. they were in the last one, mm-hmm. but they're they're aiming for Tavi's group, 
which yeah. is they start off in different areas and move to Alara. Towards you know that's yeah. where their story happens towards also the, in Alara. The city of Alara, right? Which is where this college is. That right, Tati exactly. Is going to okay. Mm-hmm. The second group is Amara's mm-hmm. from the last book. And so Amara is Amara was the cursor that was with Fidelius when he stabbed her in the back. Yes, she's one of the good guys. Yes. Okay. Still very loyal to the realm, but she is actually loyal to Gaius, she's which loyal is how to, she differs from right. Fidelia. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's loyal to Gaius specifically. Like cool. she feels that that is also being loyal to Alara, but she like her loyalty is very much to Gaius as a person. Sure, which becomes her linchpin in this yes. story. That's kind of her the the screw that they that butcher twists in yeah, this story. That is that is a very recurrent theme of her arc throughout the books. Yeah. Oh, that's gonna be annoying. Um, I think you'll be interested to see where it goes. Oh, I hope so. Who else is in that group? So Bernard, Bernard mm-hmm. who was not a viewpoint character but played a big role in the last book, is her lover mm-hmm. at this point. Okay. Um, and he is a main viewpoint or he's, no, he's, he's not a viewpoint, viewpoint character, but, he is, but he's a main character. He's with Amara basically the entire time, and so you have a lot of his interaction with her. And interestingly enough, Aquitaine, the bad guy from the last book, ends up... Like Aquitaine himself isn't in this book that much he's compared not. to the last one. But his wife actually is, is... awesome. Yeah, she's actually in this a fair bit. And she's one of my favorite characters in this series. And I'm glad to see her stepping onto the stage more in this book than she did in the previous one. Um, So... I think that's basically the, every no, all the, the main. Uh, oh, Daroga, the yes. awesome Beastmaster's yes. horde. Daroga is also Daroga is with uh, Bernard and Amara's group. Right, he's also not a viewpoint character, but he is also is with Dar- them pretty much the, the entire. Book. And Daroga is, I know he's with the Marat horde, the Beastmaster. He is one of the chieftains of a specific tribe of them. He's the is chieftain he the one of that Javi became friends with after yes. the whole mushroom he's, trial. He's the Gargant chieftain. Yeah, he's the giant sloth chieftain. And Kitai, the girl that is bonded with Tavi mm-hmm. is his daughter. Mm-hmm. So Katai ends up in Tavi's group. Mm-hmm. Daroga ends up in Amara's Bernard and Amara's group. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And that's really all of the main yeah, characters. There's, a, there's other that characters point. that we'll there's bring up throughout. There's plenty of other characters. Um, awesome. That, like, I, like, I cannot wait to bring up Varg, but we will wait until later in there because he's got, got a smaller awesome. part in this. Yes. Um, Stage set. Okay. So what's going on in this book? You read the, uh, the description of the book mm-hmm. and I didn't listen to it because I was busy uh, getting... Fair podcast settings I, fixed. I don't, it didn't help much. So yeah, I don't think it would. Yeah. Um, so I think that this would be helpful to mostly talk about in kind of two segments because w- the two stories, sure. Amara and basically her story and Tavi and basically his story, they intertwine to a certain degree, but they are very separate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's happening in Calderon where the first book took place is Bernard. That's, the, that's like the rural town, right? Right. Bernard where has Tavi t- grew up. Back right. with yeah. where Tavi grew up. Bernard yeah, has taken over a, a larger, you know, authority in, in that area. And Amara has been the go between, between the first Lord and Bernard for the past two years. Um, they've kind of developed a relationship and what has happened is, so there was the, the wax forest in the previous book where okay. Tavi and Katai went and got that funky mushroom. And when well, that happened, they woke up a, essentially the queen of this, this thing. So that wax forest, what it is, is it was a, a dormant form of this thing called the Vord. And they are a, you say this thing, it's an entity. It's an insect colony type thing. Well, it's an insect colony this time. Yes. In, in, in this, (laughs) that gets too complicated. We don't need to go necessarily that deep. I don't think the Vord always appears as different things. This time it's an insect. Right. Um, so what it is, they woke up this thing, and it is essentially the queen of the Vord. And now, because of that, it is no longer dormant. And so it is trying to do what the Vord does, which is basically... Take over everything. Yeah. 
How is this related to Pokemon? <laughs> I, this I don't related remember to, a Pokemon. This is related this. to the we, Xenomorph Queen. <laughs> we will apparently. Get, I would say more the Zerg from uh, from uh, Starcraft. Starcraft. Yeah, um, but so essentially, what they do is they cover. Let me see how to explain this. Uh, so I can explain the Vord. The Vord possess people. They literally get inside their bodies and take them over and then use their bodies as oh, Hold a on. Host that seems less like possession fight. and more like the giant cockroach from Men in Black who just like puts on an Edgar suit. Well, it's not less quite. like that. It's not the queen herself doing that. She sends tiny... There's a lot of different forms of the Vord. The Vord is an encompassing thing of all the things essentially that the Vord queen controls. So she can make like, think of it like this. There's soldier ants and there's worker ants. There's just a lot more different forms of the yeah, right, 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 right. But, uh, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to see like, are you, ta- are these like insect sized insects? Yes. So they're like, like they're like tiny okay. bugs. So the, the host creating ones are tiny bugs that literally just burrow themselves into like your nose, mouth your ear, your mouth, somewhere and there and take over, over the brain. Yeah. Those are the. They're called a specific thing takers. in this, the takers. Sure, but it's like, oh so, no, this ant's crawling on me, and now I'm a Vord host. Right, but then there are the the fighting ones, uh-huh. and those are like the size of men. Yeah, or like bigger. Or yeah, I mean like, they're giant monster. Okay, things. they're like tank things. Like the thing that I, they remind me and, of is if you've ever seen uh, the Dark Crystal, the big insect like monsters from that. They they remind me a lot of that. And then there's the queen. The description of the queen reminds me of like some kind of centipede for some reason. I could kind of mm-hmm. see it. She doesn't she's have that many humano- legs. She's more or less humanoid, but she's got like but, claws and things. Yeah, and- she's but she's more. S- slippery than right. a human she can like snake she, around I mean, she moves awkwardly gross. for a human she's gross yeah she is gross like um, she's scary like i said i'm still afraid of the board it's been two weeks since i finished this <laughs> book and i'm afraid to be taken anyway so the way that this thing works is that she, the the vord queen once like her takers have gotten a person she the vord queen is psychic essentially um and so she can telepathically command anything that she's got dragons i promise <laughs> it really is uh she can she can telepathically control anything that you know she her, her taken. horde has taken okay um, which so, includes all of those people right that got taken by the little ants crawling in your mouth thing and so the way that the vord work is they will send a couple of these takers in and and eventually take over the an entire town or kill who like once they've got more than half they'll just kill the rest of the people and so they're this really insidious thing that you don't know is there until it's too late most of the time. And usually they kill the rest of the people by turning the Taken against whoever hasn't been taken yet. Mm-hmm. What's the goal of the Vord? Is it just to consume everything? It is or? To, to take over everything. Okay. It's, um, its goal is to turn ev- everything in the world into the Croach, which is the greenish wax stuff. The, the, what makes it really difficult to, um, to kill them is the way that they spread specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the queen will have three more queens. And they will go and produce three more queens, and they will go and produce all of those with like and so on and so forth. So even and if you kill the queen, you're she's still have to already deal with. spawned three more queens. Exactly. And so when this book is opened, there are one queen is already killed. Uh, Daroga and his people went on were this massacred. They got wrecked. Like two thousand of them of them went in to go fight this thing, and, and like two hundred came, came back came mm-hmm. out. But they did manage to kill one queen. So there are two left. Yeah, but she she already spawned three queens, right? There are there are three at the, at the start of this. Like I think it may be that they after the first one they start doing the three and three and three. But or maybe it's two. Maybe I did the numbers wrong. Either way, there's three at the start of this this book. One's dead. One is still in the, the Calderon Valley, and then one has gone to Alara, where Tavi is. And so the two uh, sort of dueling narratives are blood thing becomes important, right? Because one of them's looking for Tavi. Yes. 
Um, but the the most she wants his blood specifically. Apparently, it's not it's not clear in this book what okay. exactly she wants from him. Um, sure, but the uh, the one queen is the focus of Amara's story is trying to kill the queen that is in the Calderon Valley, finding out what exactly is going on with all that, and then the story of fo- of Tavi's thing is a little bit different. But you find out that essentially he's going to have to deal with the queen in in a certain way in his story. So th- so the the Vord are the driving antagonist of this. Book. Yes, very much sure. so. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it when it opens because like the driving antagonist, honestly, in the opening for Amara is basically Gaia slash Bernard, like her passion. Well, her for, arc is, a, is, is like Bernard. that. Yeah. But yeah. The, but like that's what you think is going to be the drama is she's going to have to go back to Gaius and she's going to break up with Bernard. And then all of a sudden there's like these monsters that she has to deal with. Like, uh, yeah, I can see what you're talking about. Yeah. And with Tavi, you think that it's going to be school drama. Right. I'm not. I'm not talking about like. As, <laughs> I mean, it's, no, I'm, but, I'm trying to think of but it. But really, think of it like if if you were stepping into exactly. This, that's what I'm trying to. I'm trying to step back and do that. Not like, the opening scenes for Tavi are like classic bully mm-hmm. situation. The opening scene for Amara and Bernard are like, oh, we really want to do it, but we keep getting interrupted by yeah. business. Like Th- this sounds like I wouldn't want to. Like I, oh man, another Tavi chapter. Dadgummit! Let me get back to the like other awesome stuff that's happening over here in the Bernard and who and who, who else? Amara and Amara camp. I think what makes Tavi's chapters as interesting as it is is he's got a lot of side oh, characters that are really fun to have and to play off better. of and, and talk to, like talk between. Um, you've got his. He's got kind of a crew at his school. Um, in Tavi's group, you've got a guy named Max who, who is amazing. Max is super cool. <laughs> he is a former Legionare. So he's been so in he's the older. military of this. Yeah, he's a little older, but he's like 18, 19, not like way older. So you've got him. He's really funny because he is like this really big personality, like a carouser. He's he's always he's off playboy. getting drunk and, and getting laid. And but he's but he's also like he's not the type of character that where that's all that he is. He's also very loyal to Tavi and his friends. And, sure. you know, he very really helpful to them. uses the carousing as a front. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's his cover for dealing with a lot of issues doing yeah dealing with all of the stuff that's going on um so you've got him he's kind of the big boisterous one of the group you have aaron who is the mousy nerdy one right essentially um he's the one that you don't like this is a book about you know that's going to deal a lot with spies this whole series and he is the one that is very much the most spy like of them oh really Um, I, I think so. I didn't think so. But I mean, he's not very, in this book. You don't realize what he's capable of until he has to do it, essentially. I would. OK, yeah, that's I sort of what that. I mean. And like he's he's very clever and he's not going to he's he he is the type to uh, hold his hand, his cards close to the chest is sort of what I mean by that. OK. Um, and then you've got a third character who's not as important and I wish had been a little more important in this book because I think it would have helped with What's a reveal at the end of it. Gaella. Yeah. Like we need to talk about Gaella at some point because we definitely she will. should have been important. Mm hmm. And I still can't figure out when she got blipped. Before before the story started. For real? Yeah. You never knew the real Gaella. Then why the... Wait, when you say blipped, what do you mean? Did she get taken okay. by the Vord? Uh, See, no, me... she got taken by somebody wait, else. Wait, what's that, Spoiler. what's that mean? What do you mean? Yeah, yeah sure. The Again, these, these people are being trained as spies, right? Sure. Uh, so before the story started, a so they've got a, they've, there's a rival High Lord that is also trying to take over... Alara. It's not Aquitaine. It's a different guy named Kalare, and we'll deal with him a little bit okay. in the book. But he has his own group. He's of, an asshole. He is a monster. He has his <laughs> no. Like you haven't even gotten into the stuff. Like he is a straight up monster. I mean, I've seen how he treats his son. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I can't wait to see you in a book. What or does two. he do? What does he do in this book? 
in this book, um, what, the thing that has happened beforehand is he has his own group of spies, essentially. They're like the Cursors, but they're loyal to sure. him instead of Gaius. One of Blood those Crows spies... Is what they're called. Yeah, they're called Blood Crows. One of those spies killed a girl that was going to be a Cursor, and using Watercraft... And posing as ...made her. herself look exactly like that girl and has now taken over her life, essentially. And so she is... Creepy! Yeah, it's super creepy, and it's, it's really gross. Okay, but, so assuming that you're correct about Gaela having been taken out that before is this what story Tavi and guys have which, assumed at the end of the which book. is what i agree mm-hmm. sounds like the assumption from like i mean they outright say that the like, end of the book yeah. yeah well i i finished it today they, they outright say this is what we think happened i know but okay. the, the way that it was said i couldn't tell if they thought it happened like during the interim of of gaius being sick or if they thought it had Ta- been Tavi going on forever. Tavi said specifically, like, I don't think I ever knew the real Gaella. So Okay, I guess I missed that line. So yeah. here's my question. Why the F did he go pick Gaella and Aaron to help him? He didn't know that until after uh, <clears throat> after uh, the maestro dies. That's a thing that we'll have to explain. It, it's late in the book. But their teacher... <laughs> oh, their, that's their what teacher, he was trying to reveal? Yeah. Oh, my word. He did not do that well. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Which, they, oh, okay, we, which... Leads me into a question. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of getting off topic because we've been talking about plot a whole lot. Right. Um, but I know that you had several complaints about Jim Butcher's writing right. when we reviewed the first one. Has he improved in this book? Oh, by by leaps and bounds. Like, it, it, Yeah, that, that's one thing that he, I, I really love about reading Jim Butcher's books as a writer is that each book is a lot better than the last book that he's written. Yeah, this book is much better written um i think i told rick when i was about a third of the way through i was like i've only waved my hand for him to get on with it once so far (laughs) which as opposed to the last book as opposed to the last book i did that for like the first third of the book where i was like okay oh yeah you you've set oh any time now we could like tell (laughs) Mm us no never mind and like Whereas with this one there were some scenes where i felt like he slowed down the pace of the writing in a way that I didn't like, and we can talk about the specifics of those later, but like by and large, this book is probably two times better written at least than the first third I think to the, half of book one. I think the big thing to me that improved, at least at the very beginning, is that there are a lot of fun relationships that he plays in, in, uh, uh, against each other to open up the book. Dialogue. Um, improved by a landslide yeah. in this book like the dialogue moves the plot better mm-hmm. it's more subtle it doesn't feel like he's trying to get all of this information across to you by making people talk at each other like yeah it's it's a it's a big big improvement in my yeah. mind as well um so is there anything else that you want to know besides that no no i was just wondering because i know that there were some serious complaints last time and i mean we've kind of been going back and forth about all of these characters and Mm -hmm. we haven't really gotten much into what they're doing yet right right but that's i assume that's because you know having not read it i'm assuming that there's a whole lot of dialogue going on between these characters we we just you know when we're starting a podcast like this we have to explain a lot of the the ground yeah yeah so so i was curious how that dialogue was handled that sounds like it's a lot better than last time a lot better than last time all right (laughs) so tavi's got his group his ragtag group of school buds Mm -hmm. uh what are they doing at school mostly getting beaten up (laughs) like 
I mean, well, Let's okay. As part of their Tommy training Aaron, or because they're bad at making friends? Tommy yes. and Aaron are getting beat up. Max is not getting beat up. Max is doing the beating. Max is doing the beating. But not <laughs> so, of Tavi and Aaron. No. So what's going on when we meet Tavi and Aaron is Tavi and Aaron are trying to get food. Um, and what's stopping them from getting food is there are... The school bullies. School bullies. Yeah. Uh, one of the So the son of that guy that I mentioned earlier, Kalare, his son is a asshole. Um, which like is father like son very much so okay. um, you can see a lot of what the, his dad's personality has done to this guy it's especially you know yeah in, for sure yeah he's messed up um, he's really messed up right and so uh essentially whenever he sees tavi he likes to pick on him because okay. tavi is someone who doesn't have furies and so that makes him stand out and so that is you know yeah, the that's person like who gets picked <laughs> exactly let's talk about that scene specifically because i know we have very different feelings about sure. that scene the, the because scene where tavi wants food and he gets picked on this, for the first time this is basically tavi's opening scene he's been kind of mentioned before like but this is this is tavi's main scene and to me it read as like the epitome of classic bully picks on kid with lesser powers and eventually the kid with lesser powers gets out of the situation it and the bully cliche. works bad. It felt super cliche to me. It was the first time since the start of the book that I was going, okay, yeah, this has been done so many times and I find it really boring for Tavi, who I found to be a very interesting character in the previous book and also in the rest of this book. Rick loves this opening. I wouldn't go so far to say as I love it. I'm just, it might this come across Rick, that way when I'm defending it. Opening he defended ever. it very loudly when I was like, that was the most cliche opening that we could have possibly had for Tavi. Uh -huh. And Rick was like, I thought there was a great twist to that. I it was, that was really cool. well done. What's the twist? So, okay. So I like this scene for a lot of reasons. Um, I, I think that it... And again, now that I'm thinking about this, maybe it's because I was a somewhat smaller kid who in Got some way on. stood out and picked on. And so maybe this I, I relate to it a little more. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. That's uh, there's no. Uh, <laughs> that's not really applicable to a lot of the other books. Oh. Uh, it, it fits this one. But anyway, so um, I like it because I think it does a really good job of telling you who Tavi is, like what his skills are and what his problems are. Because, again, the reason that he kind of does this is that he is too <clears throat> stubborn to not just skip a meal and go, you know, do his do his stuff that he has to do on an empty stomach, um, which to be it's fair, implied he hadn't eaten in more than twenty four hours, it, it, and he had also not slept. It had sure. apparently been a consistent thing that this has been a problem. But again, he's just not willing to do that, and I get the impression that that is less about uh, him not getting food and more about no, screw this guy, I'm not going to just live my life in fear of him. And I think that that is a important thing to say that Tavi is the type of person who will go up against people that he has he no really business going beat. up against. He yeah, really well, can't. I mean, later in this in the book. Is, th is that consistent with his character? Because I thought he was more peace-loving in the last one. There, no, so so this really. is what's really exciting about Tavi to me in this book is you see the things that you definitely saw in uh -huh. the first book, which is his wits, his ability to talk his way out of a situation, his ability to think through situations and be like, hmm. Come up with a creative solution. This seems like this will work. Let's try it. Mm -hmm. But you also get to see a development of... Some ability. Of, well, yeah, of ability, but also some of the the violence of the the mm. world that he's in starting mm -hmm. to wear off on him. Yeah. Realizing that power has its place mm -hmm. and that wielding power comes with consequences. And you really see that develop in this book in a way that it couldn't in the in the first book, because the first book was much more about his wits. So wits play a role, but now he's actually started 
to be trained in how to do hand-to-hand combat and how to to fight his way out of a situation even if he doesn't have furies Again, and that because kind he's of spy thing and all that because kind of, sure. of his spy training mm-hmm. and so you're starting to see this raw power show up in him and this authority show up in him and you get to see some of the consequences that he has to deal with because of that and so, I think this this scene does a good job of showing you that in Tavi kind of encapsulated and gives you a quick little bam okay this is done let's get on with it I think that it works effectively for that. Um, and I think that it also does a good job of telling you who Aaron is, which is one of his, his other important characters. Just a mousy friend. Right. So you get that guy in there, and it also gives you who Max is. And it also sets up a situation later in the book where a very similar confrontation happens where Tavi has to deal with these three bullies. But because of the situation, he is able to take actions that he couldn't at that time. And it completely, he, to me... he couldn't earlier cha- when he was getting beat up the first time. And in a lot of ways, to me, it changes at least somewhat the pyrodynamic of that initial scene. And I like the way that that, that kind of interplay works for me. Yeah. Um, what, what changes? See, what makes kick, it different? He kicks all three of their asses. Like, is that just because, oh, I've been in school longer and I know no, stuff so now? No. Here's what one of is, the reasons why it still feels tropey to me, because obviously we have this cliche. Well, cliche, not tropey. Tropey is not a bad thing, well, I don't but, think. But see, I, I feel like it gets tropey in the fact that... Oh, you you don't. I'm, you I'm think making a distinction between. Good. I I think tropes are just a thing that happens. Cliches are when tropes are done p- poorly. Okay, so that's sort of the d- distinction I'd like to make for, there. For Rick's distinction, it stays cliche in that Tavi has been being secretly trained and is actually way more powerful physically than he makes out because he's not supposed to show to Gaela and Aaron and Max how strong he really is so he's been getting basically why special not? training why isn't That's he supposed to show really how strong made he is clear it's a part i it's the, part of his cursor training the thing that i get the impression of is are they all there for cursor training yes yeah, but, but they all kind of you definitely get the impression that they're all hiding things from each other and yeah, that's a and part of the training i think knows oh that it's he like can hey use tavi to get things out of gaela and aaron you're and Max. a spy school so everyone's got to be sneaky about something yeah i think Kinda, that yeah. i think that's okay. what it is like that is never outright said but i sure. think that is it's it's a clear implication of a couple different things that you find out you know in little ways throughout the book it's never shown like a direct light on like hey this is why we're doing this but i think there's enough information there to make it fairly clear that that's what's going on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. okay so he's secretly good at fighting and then later on when they fight again he doesn't care about keeping it a secret and he's it's, just like well, well it's not i'm gonna that. kick y'all ass now it's essentially that he is in a situation where he like he can't do it there because it's a public setting, there's no reason for him to. People he, will see him do anything, and particularly way, Aaron will see him. And the way that he, well, it's not even so much that I think as it is the way that he fights all these people is that he is he does things that are extraordinarily violent and like break them essentially level yeah. of, of damage. It's not like I'm gonna beat you up and look cool doing it, and there will be no real consequences. Like no, like this no, guy's leg is broken. It's like cross like go for maximum yeah. damage in right. this and amount the, of time. And the reason that he has to yeah. do that is because they all have their furies and specifically i think all three of them have strong earth furies which makes them super strong and so he has to do stuff that is that level of violence very quickly so that they are disabled before they can use that stuff on him okay and so you find out later that you know he theoretically can kick all three of their asses in a certain way like it's it's more complicated than that and i really want to break down that particular fight when we get there so 
I want to get away from from Tavi for a minute. Like we've talked a little bit about introductions. I want to what? blow through Amara's whole story. Okay, let's do that thing. in a second. But I'm still just curious. Is Tavi's whole story in this book? Like, hey, he's at school and he's got bully troubles. No. Tavi's or, whole story or does is, he eventually like actually do some stuff? So what's too? what's going on in this book is the first Lord is it's sort of what mentioned in the thing. The first Lord he, Tavi has a direct connection to him because he's his personal page. Yeah, and so he send he does all all of Gaius's messages for him. Gaius in this book. Uh, there are a bunch of storms attacking the country and they're like, they're supernatural storms and guys is using his fury super storms. awesome fury power to break those storms, but he's been doing it over and over and over again. And he has badly overexerted himself and he essentially slips into a coma for most of this book. Right. Oh, didn't know. Yeah. Essentially like it's, it's like that basically. Yeah. And yeah. they can't let anyone know that that has happened because then they just come up and kill him and and or well, at least a civil war would start civil war. Sure. right like there would be people would realize that maybe he is like weakened to this point we can all probably take this guy yeah um because there are all these other high lords are which would in have his, been true assuming that gaius wasn't faking this whole coma he was not i i i understand that that is the case but it still felt like it was a gaius a move Gaius is I mean, just tricky. Gaius is super tricky. So like it, it is not out of the realm that he would do something crazy wily like that. He is not in this. He is actually in a coma. <laughs> it is real bad. Uh, the situation yeah, could yeah, not but be is much it worse. Like the, like the, you know, the Sherlock like, aha, I wanted to be in a coma because no. now my plan actually happens. No, I, I like the scene. The, at the, end the where Joker he, actually wanted to get thrown in prison. It is definitely not that he okay. at the end of the book, like he has a specific scene where I that I like a lot where he's like, I was doing some really stupid shit and I really should not have been. And I endangered the entire country before it because of it. And I realize that now. I like the part where he gets mad because they use all of his liquor. <laughs> That's also good. That was that was a fun scene. Anyway, so again, I want to jump to Amara real quick, like breeze through her stuff. I think we it. can get her whole story out. Amara and the Vord. Right. Amara's whole, I think the, the real purpose of Amara's whole story in this, and it takes up, you know, probably a third, a third of the entire book. But I think the whole purpose of her stuff is to sell you on how important it is that they stop the Vord. Sure. So that when we see that playing into Tavi's story section. on the other side, we know the consequences of, of what's going on there in a way that you couldn't just getting Tavi's story. Because the Vord don't show up in Tavi's story until the last like quarter right. of his story. But the, we but, know that the Vord are on his tail as well. Mm -hmm. And so seeing what the Vord can actually blood. do right. in Amara and Bernard's story mm -hmm. really helps you understand just what kind of threat Tavi's right. going to be up against if the Vord right. um, get to the First Lord. The two main things that I want to talk about with Amara's story are her relationship with Bernard, because I get the impression that that's going to be a topic of contention between me and Michael. But, it got better. It got better. Okay, okay. I was going off early text with that. Yeah. But, um... So uh, that and then just sort of the the way that their story progresses, which is there is a, a series of lead ups to a really big battle at the end. And the really big battle is really cool because they do a lot of good stuff with that to make it r super desperate. I okay. will say Butcher did way better with fight scenes in this book than I thought he did in the last book. The the huge battle in the, the first book. I really had a hard time following what was happening. Even some of the the duels, I had a hard time following who was doing what and where they were standing and how they were slashing at each other. This one, I did not have nearly as much problem following movements and knowing where people were. And he just, he cut out a lot of the fluff in his fights this time. And so there are some just really well done battles. Yeah. 
Like, uh, and all of almost all of them are Amaras. Right. I, I think that there there's a, a big standout in the middle of Tavi's story and a big standout at the end of Tavi's story. Mm-hmm. But most of the fighting happens, I think, consistently on Amara's side because they are essentially fighting, escalating battles with the Vord throughout her story as they try to get closer and closer to where the clean, queen is. And things get hairy once they get to her lair, essentially. Okay. Well, and they but, don't figure out that the queen is psychic until pretty late. Yeah. And so and, it turns out to not be as promising a battle as they oh, thought yeah. it was originally. It gets to a point where they're essentially running a suicide mission with like a 5% chance of, of succeeding. Sure. Um, it was awesome. Yeah. And it's great. But before we talk about that, let's go ahead and knock out it's Bernard just, and Amara's relationship. Let's just get it over with. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad. It's like, especially the it more it gets on. better like, and the more it gets on. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Bernard and Amara are getting it on. Um, is part of the book. As part of the book. Yeah. That's kind of their opening scene, actually. Yeah, they're, they're, again, they're trying to have trying sex. Trying to get it on and being interrupted by yeah. urgent matters of the yeah. The society essentially like it's not like they can keep getting interrupted but they get interrupted at the the, the beginning of what <laughs> just a running joke in the book actually right. it kind of oh is. man like over the course of the book i'm not i'm saying in this particular scene it's like they get interrupted oh yeah and it's not like they go back to doing it oh, and no. they no, get no, interrupted no. and like that kind of thing it's sort of a running thing throughout the book that they are trying to make that work a little bit but not a huge thing it's not a major plot point essentially Sex is not a major plot point in this book. No. Like, that's not a thing in this book. It, I would say other than Sexual Tavi tension is is relevant, but, like, there's not, like, any real sex in this book. Oh, you mean, yeah. Like, the, like I think that it's having sex... appropriately handled. I think that the, the points that people PG-13. have sex is it is important to the story that they do it then, essentially. Like, it is a consummation of their relationship in a lot of ways on... on For these two characters? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um... So Amara and Bernard, so Amara, as we mentioned earlier, is like super faithful to Gaius and the realm. And this is one of the places where Rick may have to explain for you guys. But Amara is barren because she was blighted or she at least believes she is barren because she hasn't gotten pregnant with all of the lovemaking that she and Bernard have done so far. Mm -hmm. And that is a problem because Bernard has been made a citizen and citizens that have furies are supposed to procreate. And so he has to marry someone that can has that can has can have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amara can't, which means that she can't marry Bernard and both of them keep their faithfulness to the realm. So her big internal struggle is I think I'm in love for the first time in my life. I didn't know what love was, but I can't be with this man. Cause I it can't was have babies. Yeah. Really angsty. Um, like really angsty, uh-huh. especially there at the beginning. I don't think they spent too much time on. Does it, it resolve itself because oh, it turns out she actually can have kids? No. Oh, it gets so much worse than that. What happens? Uh, she ends up married to Bernard on a battlefield wedding <laughs> that she so, expects to not survive the next day, yeah. and then literally she wakes up the next day still alive and says, "Furies." <laughs> We lived. <laughs> yeah. And oh, I gosh. like that because I, well, I like that because and the, then Bernard is like, you don't know that you're barren. We're going to try it. We're going to try to make this work. <laughs> look, good, good old Bernard. Look, he's, look, the solution is we just have to do it a lot more. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, that was his solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I mean, who's down? Who's got a problem with that? That's <laughs> oh, no, certainly not Bernard. <laughs> well, certainly uh, not Amara either. She's really into him. Like he's a he is an earth crafter. So earth crafters, one of their special abilities is they can make people horny. Oh, okay. yeah, <laughs> I was about to. 
those earth crafters no yeah Mm-mm. no like that's yeah, literally like a specific literally, actually, thing that they can do they make i think it's got horny. to do with like earth fertility like that kind of whole relationship is what he's going for there the in the first book the different, they talk about the fact that yeah it, i know like, i know desires. but that also comes off a little creepy yeah. not having read the books oh no it's like, super creepy. like the people do super creepy stuff with it in, in certain okay. points in the books like it, i love it I, has a lot of implications that are uncomfortable at times yeah i mean max is also an earth crafter in the tavi's sequence and in one part of the book he mentions that the one class that he showed up in he was showing up in because he and another girl were earth crafting each other to see how far they could take it in class and he also earth crafts the first lord's wife at one point there's so, not because he's a horn dog there though how like charming. what's going on there is max has had to take over Gaius's appearance and he has got to figure out a That's way out of his right very now. angry wife i just don't want people to come away with the impression that max is like super like rapey yeah They'll he's not love him like he, he i <laughs> i don't feel like most people are, are down with loving a rapist he's not one he's the, not rapey. He, there are extenuating circumstances in in that scene anyway amara likes bernard and bernard yeah. gets her giblets going yeah right i mean yeah and I, the I, I think the contention is just that like you didn't feel like the the angst of her situation was i didn't i was not moved by it mm-hmm. um in in part because okay so Bernard also has the sister named Asana. We haven't mentioned her much, but she's kind of an important character. She is also like childless. She does not have a husband. And in one scene in the book, someone asks her if she has children, if she has a husband. And she says, no, I, I did have a child. The child came too early implying that the child died, I've done my duty by the realm. Well, we know from the first book that Bernard had three children and a wife, all of whom are dead. He's already done his duty by the realm too, but Amara is making this huge deal about the fact that he and she cannot have children together. And like, that's her motivating thing. But if, but if it's him that has to be like the, I'm the, if he's the citizen and it's his job to make the babies, like if they died, then like, that's not on her. That's, my point is if Isana has already done her duty, then so has Bernard, like with his first wife. So why does it matter? And Amara is not a citizen, so it shouldn't matter to her. Well, Amara is a citizen. This is the thing. Amara is hyper loyal to what she sees as doing her duty. Like that is, sure. a defining, that is her defining characteristic. Yes. To a huge degree. And so and Bernard is also someone who finds these who like is very loyal to the realm as a whole. He's someone who was a former soldier. Okay. Like that's all very important to him. Isana is not she is not that the only kind of person, person she's loyal to is tavi yeah. and bernard she's loyal to family. family people that she she loves she is super loyal to but she will screw the realm to save them like sure. them. and does yeah to a certain degree yeah um but i think and i think that that is a huge reason that it is more important that that they do that than that and i also think that a big part of it is that it's sort of weird the situation that isana is in as a citizen because she's only a citizen because of being made a stead holder which she's the first female stead holder and that's a whole thing and i think that her situation is going to be different probably because that uh that bernard is a guy and it's just simpler for him to get a wife that is fertile. Like that's, that's a thing. But I think that the I biggest problem is would that like to point both out here that once again, that doesn't feel like a strong enough motivator for all of Amara's angst about this. I, I will say that it probably does like go a little farther a than little it needs to plot. Yeah. Ish. I'll give you, I'll give you a little, like, I'm just like, saying like, it's not a huge issue to me. I, I well, don't think of that. Of course the, not. You're not a woman. 
well, yeah, I I don't think anyone's been that. That's not a secret. Wait, anyone? <laughs> yeah, no one should be surprised by that. Um, but at least I had Katai <laughs> and uh, lots of other cool female characters. Anyway, who fall into cliches. We'll talk about that. I guess I don't think I. I don't agree. Anyway, I think that it works because loyalty is such a defining trait of Amara's, and that is why it is a bigger deal to her and Burner than it would be to, say, Asana. Asana, I think, can is willing to go along with the like legal fiction of, I had a kid, so technically I've done the duty. I think that Bernard and Amara are both people who are like, no, this is actually an important thing that we need to do, if and at all Bernard possible. And Bernard was kind of like, meh. And, and, but Bernard is like, no, Technically, there are people who have been blighted that have had kids. It's rare, yeah, but we're just going to have to keep having sex and see if it works out. Like, yeah, uh, he, and he's we're down married with that. now because of well, no, battle, was, battlefield love. Yeah. He was sort of yes. down with that through the entire thing. Well, Amara he, was. Kind he wanted of, to marry her, and Amara was giving him the cold shoulder because of this specific situation of she can't have kids, and she's suddenly realized all this and realized how far this this relationship with him is going. Okay, um, but by the end of the book, does that change? Or by the end of the book, are they just still doing it no, to try and have a kid? By the, the, the end, end of the book, the book what is ha- them be- waking up after this battle that they Say, shouldn't ah, have crap. survived. Right, and the tension of it, like, we gotta have kids. The tension of it is oh, essentially... Gross. <laughs> the tension of it is is uh, Amara trying to pull away from Bernard, and Bernard being like, no, I'm not I'm not down with that. We're gonna have to have this conversation. But at the same time, we've gotta deal with all these wards, so we'll have that conversation sure. once we're both you know, survived that situation. Amara and Bernard don't remind me of my situation at all. <laughs> <laughs> Until they get to the, the end where they're like, okay, we're probably both gonna die tomorrow. Why don't we just get married? And Amara's like, Okay, fine. Like, we're probably going to die tomorrow, so I'm not going to worry sure. about it right now. And they do, and now she has to deal with the consequences of that decision uh, in, in future books, essentially. To okay. be fair, Bernard does say, you know, we did survive the night. If you want an out, you can have an out. Yeah. Like, he doesn't, like, like trap. He's not, like, using it to trap her. He, like, but it is a, like, haha, I gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> like, sure. you know, friendly. In the, friendly like, in the like, joking, yeah. like, care for each other kind of way. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. I, I have to ask, though, are the, are, like, You've got to start describing battles and stuff to me because as thrilling as I'm sure this is to read or listen to, having you describe the fact that, oh man, she's got all this angst about being barren is is really not really boring. selling that is a, on me. That is a really minor not. part of what is going on while they deal with a bunch of people that are essentially zombies and giant insect Please monsters. Please talk to me about the earthbenders fighting the giant zombie horde. I actually really that specifically like fun. earthbenders fighting these giant guys because when they, when they get to the super strong people getting in a fight with that, that's a really cool thing. So they essentially get to a village that has been taken over. The the Vord does. The Vord has done this by the start of the book. Like Daroga oh, oh, shows okay. up. Okay, so we, we're on, we're on scene, and guess what? Vord's already exactly. Yeah. Daroga shows up. He's sure. the super cool Marat guy, barbarian dude. He's like, hey, this is the situation. We've already killed one of these queens. We got to go kill this other one, and there's another one that's heading towards Alara. We think, and so Isana is in this in in there she goes off to go and warn the first lord we'll talk about that in a minute but about the board that's headed right. towards alara exactly so what happens essentially over the course of Amara's story is they fight the board several times and essentially get their ass kicked every time they are throughout the book they they start off with this um small contingent of soldiers they have got some powerful crafters of different kinds with them but the board all have kind of figured out what the the strategy they're going to need to use against them and because amara are, are, the, are the vord like smart and sentient because the they're vord insects are right incredibly smart well or at least the queen is the queen is super smart and she controls all the vord they're essentially all one being that she is controlling it's the hive mind it, it is that's exactly Very what much. it is okay um yeah. 
And she is extremely smart and, and uses psychic. A, yeah. And so she essentially throughout the book sets sounds up. Like, it sounds like the flood from Halo almost. It's sort of similar. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she essentially sets up a series of traps that they keep walking into. And it does. It's not like a situation where you're like, oh, that's obviously a trap you're walking into. How dumb are you? It's yeah. like they really planned out well what their next move should be with the situation that they had. Right. And she had still set it up as a trap. Like, for example, they get into this big fight with the Vord when they first show up in this village. And they don't really know much about the Vord, and they're only just now figuring out how the takers work. And what the moment that they realize how the takers work, they realize that they have a bunch of sleeping wounded soldiers in this one big room, and that the takers have already started getting into them. And that was the whole reason that the Vord had this whole fight was to injure some of them so that they could take over some of their soldiers and then kill a whole bunch of them using them. You, so, using, using the, the mind-controlled soldiers. Right. Yeah. So that sure. that is one specific scene. And that's a really cool one because it's the one where you kind of get the, the the fight between them and start to figure out, oh, how like how bad these are. Because the biggest, the biggest problem with the taken people is that they're not just normal people fighting you. They don't feel pain. They don't care at all about their lives, so they will, like, literally, at one point uh, in this story, one guy will, like, get, like, an arm chopped off or something like that to get his other hand on you and, like, crush your neck. Like, that's yeah. the level of... Uh, question, can the Vord-controlled humans still use their furies? That becomes a fascinating theme in this book. I'm so glad you asked that question. I am too, actually. So, it turns out that Vord-controlled humans can use furies but only if furies have been used on them first basically the vord don't instinctively when they take over a person know how to use furies but when someone around them like a normal person does use furies they kind of like suddenly figure it out they're like oh okay that's the, how you do that and then they also use the furies on people oh man it Which sounds like tavi is gonna be super effective at taking these guys down then becomes really I mean, it's, well it's not a huge part of his story honestly i oh. i would say that what is what struck me as a writer in this book compared to the last book is his theming in this one. So in all of these battles with the Vord, Amara and Bernard and their crew are forced gradually to um, realize that they have to fight based on sheer humanity. They have to fight based on their own raw strength. They have to fight based on principles of making choices based on um, the big picture mm -hmm. rather than on survival because these Vord insects only think in terms of survival. They don't think in terms of sacrifice. They don't th think in terms it, of choosing others over themselves. Because the queen is a single entity and as long as she lives, the Vord are fine. The, it, would, it never occurred to her that these other sentient beings would sacrifice themselves to beat her essentially like they would go into a situation where they're all going to die but if they take her with her they're fine with that they'll do suicidal things to 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 help the rest of the world as long as she gets killed that how does that work because it sounds because that the what you've just described sounds like something she absolutely would do you you've already described to me a, a vord who is fine losing his arm as long as his other arm that's can not crush a, you. that's not a separate vord that it, essentially that's like clipping a fingernail to the vord queen she's the only sentient aware creature in this horde right so if her life is lost then that's a huge problem Right, if, but but she's still saying I'm willing to sacrifice some of my horde to to gain victory. But she's aware that all of the other, all the individual human characters 
are like her. They are a sentient being like her. They mm. are not like the soldiers that she's commanding. So she, it would never occur to her that a sentient being would Wouldn't decide, choose I'm going to go first. I'm going to get myself killed as long as I take you with me. Okay. Um, and the way, the way that that works is throughout the book, you kind of, at least at the beginning, are in the impression that the, the Alarans are you know, they're probably going to win this. They've got, you know, a lot of their fury craft. They've got a lot of strong people with them. They've got Daroga and his giant badger, essentially. And, you know, I love his giant badger, by the way. Yeah. His badger's sure. awesome. Anyway, so throughout the stories, th- throughout the story, they gradually get weaker and weaker and weaker. Like their healers get taken out. The, their, the their humans strong people, and the, the beastmasters. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Their healers get taken out. Their, their people get messed up they think that they take down all of the vord by blowing up essentially this cave that they were in but what they find out is they basically killed a whole bunch of them but not the queen and so and they the queen end up, has all of the taken humans as her army right. who are all crafters because they were all fr- their friends from sure. the local mm-hmm. village right and so they all end up in this cave having to defend this cave against uh, essentially a horde of zombies who and, are their friends yeah like mm-hmm. people they know and love mm-hmm. and some of them are children some of them are women some of them are sure. like grandmas men. and grandpas yeah. yeah and so they end up in this cave essentially fighting a losing battle where they will eventually get killed like there's just not enough of them they can't kill the vord quicker than the vord can kill them they're going to die and so the situation that they end up deciding is like hey we're gonna go out and we're gonna go kill we're gonna try and take down the queen even though we have a very low chance of that happening we're gonna fight our way out of the cave as opposed to just hole up for right because they they get to a point where it's like okay what they're doing is they're using their soldiers to kind of take rotation some people will stand it apart and they'll fight for a while and some other guys will move in and they'll fight for a while yeah but as they get more and more injured there's fewer people to do that and so eventually they just can't anymore mm-hmm. um meanwhile you've got uh daroga and his giant badger taking up the other half of the cave essentially and doing the same thing but then they get injured and so daroga is like hey I'm not going to sit here in this hole and die. I'm going to go out there and fight my way to, and you know, I'm going to get killed, but we're not going to, we're going to die out there. We're not going to die in a hole. Yeah. And essentially Bernard and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds good. We'll we'll go with you. Badgers don't die in holes. (laughs) Yeah, no, definitely not. They don't live in holes or anything. Absolutely not. Well, Um, okay. So they're going out to, to, you know, make a stand of it. Die with honor. This goes back to the theme thing that I mentioned though because even when they make the stand they agree to not use fury crafting mm-hmm. at least not at a noticeable level right. yeah and like that is really important to me because for for once Tavi is not alone mm-hmm. even though Tavi is in Alara and he's fighting a different battle with different vord infested things eventually when this happens like he also has no furies and is having to use his wits they have been forced sure. to use only their wits and their humanity. And since it's a kind of dual climax, yeah. it goes back and forth. Right. Like, this is ha- this, the thing that we've described. It happens at the end of the book. Like it, we're in on her on a Mara story, but sure. you know, it just feels really yeah. cool to see Tavi's world, um, being affected by Tavi's mindset as it were. Hmm. Yeah. The whole live with honor. Cause and, that also happens with Katai in, in a similar yeah, way. In a similar way. Um, but we'll get to that when we get to Tavi's side. Anyway, they take out the Vord Queen. Everyone's happy. That's basically the end of that part of the story. Cool. So let's talk about Tavi. Tavi's thing. Okay, so uh, <laughs> this is a little more difficult to describe. So I'm going to boil it down to to some big plot points. Tavi's in spy school. His friends are all spies with him. They are having to unravel this weird situation involving a group of 
another another species that exists in this world called the called the Carnim. They're Carnim. okay. So if you you've seen uh, Underworld, right, with the werewolves, they're basically werewolves, but they never turn into people. Like they're just the they're giant wolf just monster human wolves. thing. Are yeah. they sentient? Yes. Okay. Yes, and huge, like like ten nine feet, nine, ten tall. feet tall, like on average. Like they um, live in dark caverns right under the ground like they have a like place that is dens. Uh, they live in dens mm-hmm. yeah. yeah they have a a um am, uh, an embassy in alera um because technically they're enemies of yes. alera the embassy is to try to negotiate peace between these two warring species because they don't like the alarans and the alarans don't like them the sure. alarans right. don't like them Anyway, so Evil wolf people or whatever. Right. Yeah, they're so, pretty violent. Around the time that Gaius falls into his coma, uh, the leader of these people, the Varg, leader of the embassy. Yeah, he shows up, like basically trying to kick down Gaius's door. Like he's intimidated his way past all of Gaius's guards to like the last guard station before he would actually be like face to face with. Oh, by the way, uh, the leader of your enemy, one of their most strong, powerful people, is unconscious on the ground. That wouldn't be useful information to an enemy at all, right? right. Like he's right there on the earth, on the edge on of the verge, that figuring out. that out, figuring mm-hmm. out that hey, guess what? Wolf people could win, right? Yeah, so literally. Tavi walks out of the door, being like, "Oh crap, we've got to deal with this situation involving the first lord having fallen pause, unconscious." Pause. Question: Why is a schoolboy wrapped up in like this top tier political drama? Because he's the he's the first lord's he's messenger and being trained to be a spy for him. Okay, because as part of it, he's interning as the cabin boy essentially. Well, I mean, like because yeah, the cabin yeah. messenger. Whatever, yeah, he's for the first lord because of the situation from the first book. He is the first lord's messenger boy. Okay, essentially. okay. He's yeah. been given that special privilege. Dis- that's right, part while of his he's patronage. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's part of his patronage. Cool. Is he gets to spend a lot of time with the first lord because the first lord is his patron. Yeah. So the impact that he has had right. has put him into this position where he's around a lot of this influence and everything else right so gaius has just had this like huge freak out where he was literally kind of going crazy and and now he's suddenly unconscious unconscious on the floor like he clearly was like in the midst of a really bad fever like lost control fell unconscious can't handle it because he's old he's like 80 years old right Um, as the enemy of his people shows up bangs down the door and is like you will take me to your leader or i will kill you all Mm -hmm. and essentially this is a super cool scene again because it establishes a lot about tavi but what's happening is varg is trying to intimidate his the last guard and the guard his natural thing is like hey let's slow down let's talk this out you know that kind of thing reasonable human behavior exactly entirely reasonable being being normal but it also if you're thinking about it in terms of how a predator would view that type of thing is prey behavior like a prey a a a equal alpha level like predator type thing is going to stand up to you and like make a big show of like like, no snarl at you yeah exactly and so which is exactly what tavi comes in and does tavi realizes this is the situation realizes how bad all this stuff is in about like a quarter of a second walks up to Varg and starts insulting him and like ends up with a knife to Varg's throat because Varg grabs him and is like, you're going to take me to your elite. And then he's got a knife to his throat. And then one of the best lines in the book comes here because Varg is like, what What do do you you know know of my my people? people? You know, and Bobby goes that they have bad breath, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And Varg is so impressed by the like, Sheer gigantic balls. bowling ball sized balls on this kid that he's like all right fine all right I'll, I'll i'll go along with this and leaves and is like your people are screwed this is hilarious uh-huh. <laughs> because essentially he was coming to warn them about the vord but he couldn't because gaius is unconscious right and he can't tell anybody but his people have been slowly being taken mm-hmm. 
and Ooh, she and knows if there's about anybody it, you don't want being taken, it's, it's giant, giant nine foot people. werewolves. Like, so the normal ordinary people, including old ladies and children, are crazy strong. Because like, you know, when a person doesn't have the like internal brain limits on what they can do and they're willing to like destroy their body to to kill something, yeah. to do something, they can they have a lot more strength than the normal person. But it's like, oh no, the enemy has captured our Jeeps versus <laughs> oh no, the enemy has captured our tanks. Right. Tanks, so right. apply that like, you know, mom lifting a truck off her baby thing to giant 10 foot tall wolf monsters Uh uh-huh so that's how bad the situation is these guys are like knocking fury crafted doors down Mm -hmm. i like the i like the idea that it's like like i'm thinking of the avengers it's like oh no hawkeye has been turned into a zombie versus (laughs) oh no the hulk has been turned into right that is exactly what it is significantly worse that is exactly what it is like they they are so powerful angry hulk okay right Right. like they are so powerful that at one point they've got a giant metal door like barred and like smashed to the like they are there is no way they should be able to get through this fury crafting on it to like literally bolt it into place and one of the carnum punches it so hard that not only does it like fall through it smashes a centurion like kills him flat out smashes him to the ground squishes him and then the carnivore like start walking in and like it's got a terribly mangled hand but it doesn't care sure and just also, start tearing the door people apart. is like red hot in yeah. the place where he punched it because like, of like how hard he, he hit it and like it, it warped friction so hard that, the, yeah that the and the fury craft and that metal. kind of thing yeah. yeah it's it's badass and a really bad problem obviously to have but tavi has to unravel all of that um, and so the thing that I want to talk to talk about before we get to that, and we'll just talk about the climax and how the awesome stuff yeah, that happens yeah, yeah. there is, uh, sort of the situation that happens with Asana, mm. because that is the main driving force of like, she's trying to figure out a way to get to guys and also warn him about the situation Vord. that Amara is dealing with that we talked about But really, about she just wants to get to Tavi to protect Tavi. Yeah. She's going to go through the first Lord because that's the proper channel. Right. That's the way but that she can do it. The first thing but... she does is try to get to Tavi and it doesn't work. Okay. Right. Because Tavi's off dealing with all this nonsense sure. and bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to let you go ahead and have your, your rant here about Asana. Let's hear it. Uh, no, you can, you can go ahead because I just don't like Asana. In this why book, why so. don't you like Asana? Okay. So I will have my rant now. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not have my rant. Five seconds later, I will have my rant. Can now. I have a cup of tea with my rant? <laughs> I, I, and crumpets, please. Um, so I felt like Isana in this book served merely to push plot. Um, she is in a situation that makes her very uncomfortable and he does the discomfort well because she's Butcher, Jim Butcher does as yes, an author. Yeah. Okay. As an author. So she's a country girl who is very powerful in her own right as a water crafter, but like she's not a city person. She doesn't know how to get pretty. She doesn't know how to talk to powerful people. And like, also like as a water crafter, you've got that empathic sense that uh, just in case someone doesn't remember from the last podcast. Right. You, she picks up on everybody's emotions. Which in a city is way, way worse. Yeah. So that's Asana. And she's she's suddenly in the city of Alara trying to get to Tavi and the First Lord so that she can warn them about this terrible enemy. But like... She's just really dumb. <laughs> like, like, really dumb. And and I say that... Not just fish out of water dumb? Not just fish out of water dumb. He thinks... He, I will I, have my say after you. All right, right. Give, I'm just going to let, let you get it out. Give me an example. Yeah. Where is she really, really dumb? So, for instance... Now, once again, she is a water crafter. She feels other people's emotions. Sure. But she has had a lot of practice with 
dealing with other people's emotions uh-huh. by this point, especially since she's been a stead holder for the last two years and has been basically the main person in her stead hold. Yeah, she's which the, is the basically leader. a village. Yeah, she's the leader of a village. She's been making all these decisions. She goes to the city. She has an advisor with her who was yeah. sent by the first lord ostensibly. Who, who is a cursor who is another spy, like super experienced sure, at it. Sure, sure. Who is giving her good advice and she consistently just completely ignores it. So Sarai, Why? this advisor, takes her to a party. She doesn't want to go to the party, obviously, but she takes her to a party because she thinks it's the only chance she has to get to the first lord. And she immediately sticks her foot in her mouth with her emotions getting the best of her. Not immediately. When when mm. the person who tried to murder everyone that she knew and no, loved no, no. shows up. No, before that, she before that, she's already started getting antsy and Sarai is like, you need to calm it down because everybody in here knows watercrafting just as well as you do. Yeah, and that, all I mean, of your wrath is just like That's that's I think that's good tension. Like mm. she is being a person who has never had to deal with anyone else who is on her tier of being able to sense her emotions and suddenly in this super intense political situation, because she has the power to get to Gaius, she's also the first female stead holder and that has made her important to this thing called the dianic League, league which is essentially the the women's sure like empowerment group of this Think world diana yeah exactly and so she suddenly has a lot of political power and is in a room full of people who want to manipulate her and for the first time she's having to deal with a whole bunch of people who are just as good at, at water her, crafting at this empathic like figuring out it, okay i can manipulate you because i can sense your emotions and all that type it, of thing it sounds and I, I don't want to keep going back to harry potter but it sounds like when uh snape's having to teach harry how to basically block off his right. emotions because it's like hey you've been able to like pick up uh, Voldemort's emotions and all this and that and that's awesome but now you gotta learn to like kind of quiet your own down and it sounds like Amara has been in a position it's Asana, Asana uh, where she's been able to pick up everybody's but hasn't really had to deal with masking her own that is exactly what it is and I, I would say that that was what the intention was for me, it just came across as Asana being really weak, which is one of the issues that I've had with her since the very beginning of the series. He starts her off being really dumb and weak and getting manipulated by people. And then he ends with her doing something kind of courageous. Although in this book, I didn't really feel like even that happened. Like, I think that she's a person who is put in. She's not okay. She's never going to be a character. She's that never going to be a fighter. A, a fighter type as much character. as I want her to be. Like that's just not her skill set, and it's not the type of person she is. Um, she is someone who is someone who is a social type character. She, she's used to move the political sides of things, and she is suddenly thrust into a situation that she has no experience in, no training in, has crazy high stakes, and is against the people, a bunch of people who are literally the best you can possibly be at doing crafting. what she's trying to do. Yeah. And I don't mean just crafting in like they could kill her with their fists. Yeah, that's a part of it. But the important thing is they can, they are so good at manipulation because it's what, it's their bread and butter. That's what they do to each other all day, all every time. day. They are constantly jockeying for power and tr- using people and manipulating people. And I think it's, it's, that her being a, thrown a, into that. It's a modern political scene, but with people who can read each other's emotions. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think that per, for me, at least it makes perfect sense for her to be in a position where she is not, she doesn't handle that well. She makes a lot of mistakes. I I would be more weirded out if she did not make a lot of mistakes throughout this thing. And I think that she never, for me at least, crosses a line between like, oh, that's understandable to, oh, that's really dumb that you did that. Because a lot of the worst things that she'll do, like, do not end up 
the worst thing I think the mistake that she makes is when uh, With Nvidia Lady Aquitaine when yeah Nvidia Aquitaine the the wife of the guy that she like hates hates and like also blames the wife is blames Nvidia as well sure like, she shows up and starts talking to her and the moment that she's revealed who she is like it's this sudden oh I had no idea that was you that I was talking to it's a big shock like oh crap and I've never had to deal with masking my emotions before type of thing. She gets really mad at her for a second, and then she does manage to contain it and walk it back. And for two, and in the outside social, you know, the things that are coming out of her mouth, which is what matters, she doesn't like say anything that uh, messes up the situation. Essentially, so why, going why back her- to why I still haven't finished my rant. Oh, I didn't know you hadn't. No, like okay. the the part that bothered me about Isana is. That that happened mm-hmm. with the whole, like, she's a fish out of water. And then the moment Fidelia shows up on the scene, she's like this calm, cool, collected, sensing that people are following them. Let's Fidelius just kill the people that are following them. Like, all of a sudden, she's a different person because it is convenient for Butcher's plot that she be calm. I think that I, I don't interpret that the same way because... Prior to that moment, when Fidelius is doing those things, she is in a situation where, as far as she can tell, they're doing useless things that are not going to help her at all, that she can in no way help Tavi. Sure. And when Fidelius is doing that, he is leading her to specifically the people that are going to help Tavi and are in an excellent position to go save Amara and Bernard. Right. Like, and so I think that that is the difference is she has gone from a situation where she has no power and it looks like she's doing useless, flailing, stupid things to maybe help her family the, to, well, and the, I'm going to go do a thing that is terrible and I'm going to probably regret a lot, but it is literally the only thing I can do to save my family. Well, and I, I was going to ask, like, does she get to Tavi and warn him? Cause right now it, Invention, like you're not, make, not really like her chapters are not sounding like they're fun to read. She, like, she takes actions that save both Amara and Tavi. But she's not a player in either of those situations. Like, she doesn't get to Tavi until after he's already almost died and come back to life. Like, same with Amara and Bernard, which is another one of the issues that I have with Isana is he drops her right in the middle of the two big double climaxes and then pops her back in on the scene for her big reveal at the end. And it just falls completely flat. I think that I think that a big part of it is that I I don't think you're looking at it as a series. This is a character that is going to continue in these books and have and have I haven't liked her in the first two books. That's fine. I'm just saying that I don't I don't see this as a problem because this is someone who you can bring into future books and have them do things in in those books and evolve more there. Sure. Mara in in the first book doesn't get as much screen time as she gets in this book. Well, right. So okay, that's going because, to be different between different I, books. I think that's valid if it's if it's a oh, I don't like this character because uh, they they bug me as opposed to they're boring to read because even if it's going to be a character that gets further explored and delved into in later books, you don't have to like them as as a person, but you should still at least enjoy reading reading what they're going through right. or or the contributions that they're adding they, they should still be a beneficial part of the book that you're currently in and I think not just cha- a eh, it'll pay off in the future sometime and personally i think that a lot of her chapters are really good Partly because I I do enjoy Asana a lot more than Michael does, but I also like all the cast of characters that are around Asana and the people she gets uh-huh. to interact with. Yeah, and I think that's really fun and and interesting and helps tie a lot of that her, together. Her chapters were by far my least favorite chapters in the book, um, but her chapters with Sarai, the advisor that gets her to the the main city in particular, I really enjoyed those. Um, 
because of Sarai. Sarai is smart and she's she handles um she's an experienced spy and so she knows how this whole thing works yeah better than some people would have i still feel like asana just was to move plot and not that she like she definitely had this strong motive the only motive she had was get to tavi save tavi save bernard like her whole motive is family and that's very very clear Hmm. but the pieces like she, she it just felt like he was using her she didn't feel real to me whereas amara amara had a character max had more character to me than asana did in this one see i just don't get that i mean i i get a lot of of humanity from from uh isana like just she's, didn't. she's just you know <laughs> i i think it to me it's coming to off more like you just don't like the character and that's that's Maybe. acceptable like there are definitely characters that i don't care for i liked as much her better in, in the first book Eh, we'll, we'll see where she goes in the next books. Anyway, so let's get to the final big climax of the situation. There's a lot of stuff that is leads and up this to this. Is that the situation we're with, out with. Uh, with Tavi, right? Yes, in in the city. Okay, I I would love to go into detail about all the journey that Tavi has had leading up to this. Um, but there's two things that I think that we need to hit on that are big points that are really fun for Tavi and and for this book in particular. And it's Tavi's fight with uh, Brincis, who is the bully from earlier that we were talking about. The the son of the even worse son dude. of the right. even worse dude. Yeah. Sure. And the the climactic like the taken uh, Karnim are coming down the stairs and they're coming to kill the first lord and we are screwed. Like those two are the two like big fights that happen in the book okay. with, from Tavi's perspective. Gotcha. I think that. The fight between uh, Tavi and Brincis's crew, essentially, because it's not just Brincis, um, is an excellent example of how to escalate a situation uh, continuously and, and make it really interesting as a fight. Because it's not one continuous fight. What it is, is Tavi is trying to figure out a trying specific situation. Trying to get situation. to his aunt Asana. Yeah. He's trying to get to his aunt Asana. He's figured out where she is. That doesn't end up happening because of plot points, but that's his motivation. And two of Brincis's cronies show up and start giving him a hard time and are essentially going to beat him up and maybe kill him because they can get away with that because they're citizens and Tavi isn't. They could kill him and basically no one would be able to say anything. Yeah. Um, so Tavi whips out his super awesome spy fighting skills. Krav Maga. Yeah, he whips yeah. out his Krav Maga and breaks these two. Like, mm-hmm. before they have any idea before what's Before they happening. have a chance to even get their Earthcraft on, right. like... The, before they can even make him horny. And it's super, I know, right? <laughs> before they could get he their super strength out. blood. <laughs> before he could break their, you know, before they could use their super strength and kill him. Sure. He, like, smashes one dude's leg, like, breaks it badly, beats him up, you know, grabs another guy, starts smashing him, his head into the ground. Like, he, it's a really well-told, brutal scene. And Tavi has this moment afterwards where he's like, oh, crap, I did that to a human being. Which is the one of the scenes with Tavi where I'm like, okay, yeah, keep keep moving. Like, I just felt like that slowed that down so much. I, I thought it was important. <laughs> it was important. I just felt like it could have been edited. But continue. I, we got to get to the anyway, max part. <laughs> and that'll, that'll take a second. So, Tavi has done that. Uh, Brincis, the leader of these two cronies, basically saw him do it and is like, okay. And so he uses uh, his, his crafting to make a big, like, misty make a whole bunch of mist show up and starts. Wait, what kind of crafting does he have? Everything. Okay. He can do them all. That's cheating. It is. But so, okay, he's the son. Wait, it's actually cheating? 
No, he's the son of a high lord. It's completely unfair is what it is. It's oh, not okay, like okay, he's okay. doing something. And so his high lord father has passed on to him as offspring the fact right. that he can it's, now have Fury, all, all of them. Okay. Fury yeah. crafting is to a certain degree heritable, hence the whole thing with Bernard having to yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. make babies and all so that. So he's over here like... So he is essentially like... He is the baby version of someone who is on Gaius's like level, level of, yeah. of power. So he he's using you know his fury crafting to make this whole mist thing show up so that Tavi can't use his super awesome you know spy thing because essentially the whole thing is that he took them by surprise and beat them before they knew what was going on. Yeah, Princess is completely aware watching him and has taken away all of those advantages and that's where you get the scene that's on the cover where eventually Tavi's against the wall like getting ha- and covered in these hands that are holding him in Princess place. Princess makes the the wall a wall produce of hands, hands yeah. to Creepy. hold him in crafting, place like so grabbing, that he can yeah. sure. slowly gut him because Princess is sadistic yeah like he really wants to cause tavi pain because tavi is a freak who doesn't have any right he's that he's that typical like ah i'm the i'm the son of the person in power and my father's power has gone to my head kind of thing. yeah yes he's basically a baby serial killer sure yeah um and then what happens Max shows up. Okay. Max comes back from this a thing that he, he was going to check on Asana faster because he can do. Uh, he is also the son of a high lord. Max oh, is. so he's also he got everything. He's all got the things. also super powerful. And so those two go at it. And the, the power dynamic that has been set up between those two is such that you think, oh, Max is here. Everything's fine because he can totally kick he this guy's totally ass. Because earlier in the scene, Princess's behind. He, he did kick Princess's ass. And one of the things, one of the lines that I love in this is like Max is standing there with a drawn sword and he's like, Princess, let's not do this. This is dumb. Um, you know I'm going to win this. I know I'm going to win this. Let's just walk away. Princess doesn't, and Princess manages to actually beat Max by doing cheap stuff. Like he essentially does cheat this fight and Pocket beats Max and all that. Right, almost exactly yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so you're suddenly again like, oh, oh, horrible, horrible shit. This is going horribly wrong. But Max manages at the like after he's been stabbed in the stomach, like he is out of the fight. He's mm-hmm. done. Uh, he manages to get Tavi free enough that Tavi can like throw a knife at at uh, Princess and then use that to close and start doing his like take you by surprise, beat you so fast you don't know what's happening thing. Mm-hmm. He does right beats as Princess's dad shows up, and then Princess's dad shows up. Oh no! And so I won't. I don't really. In case you haven't re- you've read it, no, I'm, no, we've got a spoiler warning. Spoiler. Okay, so what essentially happens is princess's dad is going to kill both of them and cover it up because he can do that sure um because he's got a ton of political power both max and and tavi tavi and there's not nothing his like there's no like magical spy beat up power that's going to work on this guy it's mm-hmm. just not going to happen yeah but luckily a, another character a high lady that we have not mentioned who is on the same level of, as as uh yeah as that lord shows up with a whole legion of people and is like hey what's hey, up what's up yeah what you doing here what's uh-huh. going on here and this so it's fun and so basically the situation is like he could, you know, have Tavi killed because he beat them all up. All these, you know, beat but up his he son doesn't want to admit that the furious freak beat his son up who has all five or six elements, whatever. Right. Sure. Exactly. There are. And so essentially I, I love this scene because Kalare, the bad guy, looks like he is going to just like start the fight anyway. And uh, this high lady. Um, oh, what is her name? High lady Placida is her name. And she'll be a like, character more page? later. Sure. But she essentially walks up to him and goes, come on, bring it. Uh-huh. I will whip your ass and you know it. Essentially playing, not in, it's not like word for word, but it's a very it's similar very situation similar to, Max. to, to Max's yeah. name. And I love that, that she is just like, nah, 
fuck it. I'll, I'm going to win this fight. Uh-huh. Let's do this. Why is she standing up for Tavi and Max? She likes Max. She's got a previous relationship with him. Like she's aware of him. Not like that. Mm, <laughs> no. Max, you charm her. More like a son. Yeah. Like she's mm, although Max you creep. <laughs> although I did question in this book what the status of their relationship uh-huh. was when, when Max like, was like, Oh, like, I know Lady Placida. Uh, I was like, Oh, you is know like Lady Placida? Oedipus type son. Uh, it is not. It is okay, it is okay. not. Like they essentially she's friends with Max's dad and uh-huh. Max sent uh or, or Max's dad. Yes, Max is a bastard. It's oh, a, it's a plot point. It's but, Max Snow or whatever. <laughs> it kinda is. Like there are similar things going on sure, there to, sure, to that sure. if you're aware of Game of Thrones. But um so anyway, Max had a previous relationship because he fostered with them essentially. Okay. Anyway, that's the whole situation. And I love that that escalation of every time you think, oh, okay, they're saved and everything's fine. Nope. Not only does it get worse, this thing happens. Oh, but someone else is here to save them. Oh, nope. It's going to get worse. So, okay. So that's happened. And now Max and Tavi are all injured and stuff, but there's still zombie werewolves storming so, the castle. What's going on? So, okay. So that's all in the middle of the book. The zombie werewolf thing is something we're not aware of yet at that point. So a bunch of spy stuff happens. I won't bore you with, well, not bore you with it because it's all super cool, but I won't tell you about that for the sake of time sure let's get to the end of the story so the first lord it has been you know he fell into his coma in this meditation chamber which is the bottom of like a whole long series of stairs that's like built into the mountain of like a where this whole city is so he's super deep under there there's one way in and one way out and it's this like long series of stairs step yeah set of stairs. where there's a series of guard stations along right the the werewolf the super monster like zombie werewolves are kicking their way down through all the series of of stations and the the it gets really tense when um so the only people that are left available are max is incapacitated because of of stuff yeah um so we've got uh, a blind old man who is tavi's spy master like the guy that he's he's been teaching him who's good in a fight but he's also a blind old man like you know against a zombie werewolf he's gonna be able to maybe take one and die in the process a non-blind old man has problems against giant zombie werewolves right so you've got him you've got tavi the guy that has no furies and magical powers you've got katai who is tavi's uh you know marat friend yeah and she doesn't have any like super awesome you know giant sloth that's gonna come out and just kick their ass tavi ruined that for tavi is exactly her totem. so uh but she's also she is good in a fight she's stronger than the average human that whole thing sure um, stronger than the average bear hey. right <laughs> exactly uh but they do have two really really good assets in their corner they have Fade, who, from the last book, he was the guy that was the greatest swordsman ever, mm-hmm. but he but was pretending, pretending to be... pretending to be this stupid this, idiot. Yeah, to, sure. he, was, he was essentially uh, pretending to be a guy who had mental problems, and, like, he had a coward's brand on his face, so, like, he's, he's holding on to that identity hard still now, because the other guy that's their big asset is his brother. His brother uh, is a guy that is introduced in this book, and he's really fun to see interact with with the First Lord because he'll he'll do that thing of like, do I have permission to speak freely? And the First Lord will be like, yeah, I guess. And he'll be like, you are super freaking tense, and you need to go get laid. Yeah, okay. Like, <laughs> like that's Miles' opening scene. Yeah, uh-huh. and it's, it's really fun. And so you've got him, but he is he's like on the same like in general level as Araris, the the super awesome like best swordsman ever. But the problem is he's got a crippling in- injury from his youth, and so and it's Araris's fault. Yeah, it's Fade's fault that right. he has this crippling injury. And so he, Araris is aware that he, if he tells his brother that he's still alive, there's going to be a big, huge problem and fight. And so he is like, no, at any cost, I need to not do that. Right. 
So he's basically staying at the very bottom of the stairs with the First Lord for most of the fight. So as they're coming down... The werewolves are making their way down. The werewolves are making their way down. Miles, the brother starts fighting them and he is doing really really well because he's an amazing metal crafter he's the like top top tier swordsman su- at a supernatural level but even he can't like hold them back forever because partly because he's got this injury and partly because they're just that badass mm-hmm. and, and there's a lot of them and yeah there sure. are, there's like 12 yeah 20 there's 20 oh, plus of them. There yeah. 20? they okay. don't have to fight all 20 because some of them have to hold that top guard station but they have to fight most of them right miles ends up messed up because a couple mistakes happen and you know all that nastiness he ends up like losing like half of his face to to this and you know part of his leg is now even worse messed up sure and so that's when arara shows up at the last moment sees his brother and i love this scene because like you know you've had this long build up that i haven't been able to to establish for you Uh because we have a limited time and i can't talk about this book for eight hours but we have this long buildup, and finally, at the, this last moment, Araras comes charging in, you know, tells his brother this old command that they kind of had back when they were working together as bodyguards for the First Lord's son, and steps in, and the fight that Butcher describes when, when Araras t- steps in is just awesome. I love every second of it. Um, I actually went back and listened to it again after I listened to it, just because I enjoyed it that much when I when I first was going through here. Mm-hmm. Um and I really enjoy the interplay that you've got because you've got this awesome fight scene going on while Miles, who's really badly w- wounded, is talking to Tavi, like having this like d- half delirious conversation of like... Because once again, half of his face has been kind of chopped off. Yeah. Like, and he's got metal craft, which means he can like ignore pain to a certain degree, but his wounds are so bad that like even sure. like he He's can't, delirious with pain. Yeah. Um, and so like the conversation that they're having is just super cool because it gives you a lot of insight into like his relationship with, with Araris. It gives you some cool tidbits about the first Lord's son who died all those years ago. There's just a lot going on in that. And I, I love that whole thing, but I will now let you tell them about the, the best, the, the part. climactic part where Tavi goes one-on-one with one of these carnets. So once again, there's this huge fight going on and they're slowly making their way down the levels and in the meditation chamber, they have sequestered the first lord and the injured max yeah um and the injured katai and, and the injured well uh, katai wasn't injured not yet. when they got there but but yeah. but yeah like basically the spy master the blind spy master has died mm-hmm. um in tavi's arms katai has been poisoned yet again by one of those spider things because those have a started those showing things not yeah. just one yeah like a those have started stronger. showing up now the the vord the spiders. spiders okay um from but the spiders from the first book. So Katai is injured. Um, so she can't fight. The first Lord is unconscious. Max is unconscious. And Tavi is alone in this chamber with nothing to defend himself. When lo and behold, this giant 10 foot wolf man mm-hmm. possessed up. by yeah. the Vord stumbles into the room to kill all of them. And what's he going to do? What's he do? And once again, Tavi's wits are, are at it. And he uses, he ends up using the first Lord's sword mm-hmm. and his wits to distract this thing until he can kill it. Basically, he, he outmaneuvers it, outwits it. It was beats partially, it strategically. partially injured. And yeah. so he st- strategically plays on its weaknesses and ends up like passing out on top of its dead body. And that's where well, I like, Araris finds him. I, well, I like specifically that like he, he's like, super exhausted at the end of that fight and then he hears steps coming down the thing and he's like shit 
There's they, another one. They must have lost. And, yeah. he and like so he like yanks the sword, the sword out, out and is like ready to fight them when they come down. And so they come down and they're like, Tavi expecting everyone in there to be dead because mm-hmm. this one And he one sees who it is and everyone. just like passes out. Right. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we won. I'm going to crash. <laughs> it's, uh-huh. just, it's a fantastic climax to the story because it is it is a it is a believable thing that that Tavi can win this. But it brings it to a point where he's got no help left. He's exhausted, beaten up, all this stuff. But. He managed to pull out that victory. His his leader die. He's watching the leader of his country possibly be dead. His best friend is dying Mm because Max is injured. Yeah. Katai, who he has finally started to like, is injured and probably going to die. Like everyone around him is going to die and he's still going to, he's still going to try to save all of their lives. Yeah. Like, even though he has no furies, which he's beating himself up for because he's like, if I had had even a little bit of fury crafting, I could have helped max or i could have helped Katai, or i could have helped somebody not die and now there's this giant beast thing that i need to kill Mm -hmm. even though we're all gonna die anyway yeah like it's just a fantastically built up to climax for the story hmm. um and so you know he wins everyone's alive still everything's pretty happy we have a big you know first lord wakes back up yeah he wakes back up right in time to be conveniently there yeah he, he wakes up well i mean it's like the next day you know stuff is fine but they have healers there now that they can help him. And do, right? and That's upon right. waking up, he uses his his uh, countrywide First Lord powers to smite all of the Vord? No. Uh, nope. There's only one Vord left. The Vord Queen escaped. There is a Vord Queen that has escaped, and by the end of it, he can't find her. Oh, okay. Uh, he, like, the, one of the They're things that was coming They're extremely hard to track right. with Furies. They yeah. don't show up on Fury radar, so to speak. Right. Mm. Like those, those slippery, slimy centipedes. Right. Mm-hmm. But, you know, obviously that's going to be a future problem. We've got these Karnum that have, are sure. obviously going to also be a future problem because they were actually, like, it wasn't just ones that had taken over. Like, one of them was actively working with the, the Vord the Queen at the Alara. So mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be a whole, whole issue. There's a lot of cool, like, okay, let's talk about, you know, this kind of thing that happened in the book. We'll, we'll kind of deal with that, wrap that up, you know. And I, I I like that, you know, Butcher doesn't overstay his welcome here. It's not like Dragon Haven where there's like uh, nine hours six of hours post sure. story. Epilogue. There's like, like two chapters. Yeah. And they're both pretty quick yeah. relatively. So he kind of get, gets in, gets out and is like, okay, let's, we'll, we'll move on to the next, next story now. All right. But, but so they've, he's wrapped it up nicely while still leaving enough open to continue it. Yes. Gotcha. Well, we, we've been talking about it for quite a while, so why don't I go ahead and get started with my final thoughts? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was interesting listening to you guys talk about this because there were times where what you were describing sounded incredibly dull um, <laughs> when you got to a lot of the politics stuff. Sure. Um, talking about, it's, is it Amara or? Amara. Asana. Uh, Asana's Asana. got the politi- a lot of the yeah, politics. Yeah. Um, the stuff with Asana. And it, it, it seemed like there were several parts that sound boring that sound really boring and and they're not as boring as talking about the the climax and the final fights that are going on Mm -hmm. sounds really cool um so i i don't know i'm kind of torn in the middle having not read it uh i think the the part that sounds the coolest to me at least is the fight that you've described between um tavi max and like the first lord's son it's um he's not the first lord a high lord a high, high lord's lord, yeah. son yeah that uh, is the a high really lord's good fight. son as as cool as the giant werewolves sound just um i guess the relationship that's been built between <laughs> tavi and his bullies and and how that kind of comes to a head I think that is an excellent fight. I think a part of that is just, you know, me being limited on time. I can't build it up the same way that I can sure, easily sure, build sure, that sure. up. But, and I'm yes. sure I would have different thoughts had I read the book myself. 
Um, my least my least favorite described scene <laughs> has to be um, Asara and all the politics and water bending emotions. Like, it's way better than it sounds. Like, I'm, I'll, it? I'll say that it it is better than we made it out to be but i i just still didn't like asana in this book hey you said i could rant and you didn't even (laughs) get me a cup of tea and crumpets for it (laughs) i i would have to say that the first book still sounds more interesting to me personally um and so when it gets to your guys turns i'd love to hear which one you enjoyed more not necessarily from a uh, writing, like writing, writing perspective. skill perspective, right. because I, you've both said that he does. He is a better writer in this book. So just uh, setting that aside, I'd right. like to know which one you enjoyed more. But overall, I guess I'll have to go in the middle. I'll give it um, three out of five giant zombie werewolves. Um, because it, it sounds interesting, but from what you've described, the first one still seems more uh, it, it's it grabbed me more from your descriptions. Sure. So. Do you want to go first? No, no surprises here. My least favorite part was Isana. Like uh-huh. I just felt like she was more plot than character. There are some really good scenes with her, um, and there are some places where her scenes really showcase other characters in ways that are phenomenal. Especially with Lady Aquitaine. Um, I think that he could do things with Isana. I feel like I've wanted him to do things with Isana in both books so far and have been disappointed. And so I think I'm just a little burned on Asana. Um, my hands down, what I liked best were any scenes with Tavi and the Kanem or Karnim. I think it's Kanem. It, the way that the person that does the book, that she reads thing, it. It sounds to me like Karnim, but it's spelled C-A-N-I-M. So yeah, Kanem. It's just supposed um, to be like wolf Or thing. Tavi with Katai. Like, we did not even touch Katai in this book. Which... <laughs> and, like, she is hands down my favorite character in this book. Like, any interaction she has with Tavi, there are no wrong scenes with Katai and Tavi. Katai is like, great because she's such an arrogant character. Yeah. <laughs> but she doesn't just, come off as, as like, un, it's, it's a charismatic arrogance. Yeah, she's just... Well, she's just so precise. Like she has like a truth complex because her people don't lie. And so she just is like, you guys are all stupid or you guys are all crazy. And as the reader, you're like, yeah, why would you do things that way? That's really (laughs) dumb. And, and Tavi is even taken aback by it because he's like, yeah, you're right. It is really dumb that we do it that way. But that's how, that's how we Alarans do it. And she's like, that's stupid. You should do it differently. I love Kitai. Hands yeah. down, my favorite character. We didn't talk about her at all. Um, rating, I put 3.5 Vord Queens out of a horde. All right. So, yeah, a little, little better than the, the mm. last one. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I guess you for your question, I did like this book a lot better. I had a hard time putting it down as rick can attest i was seven hours ahead of him most of the time that we were listening to this book (laughs) all right um it is paced much better it is Mm -hmm. written much better and for all of the parts that sound boring there is enough intrigue there's enough um emotional conflict going on that makes it interesting even without the fights and the like angst yeah. i guess that you would expect from the the more energetic scenes okay so i don't feel like we did that justice um even asana scenes have have their merits cool. so 
So um, I I think I'll go ahead and answer your question right here at the top. Uh, I really like this book. It's not my favorite of the series, but it is one that has a couple strong moments that always come to mind when I think of it, especially like the moment when Tavi first meets Varg and you know, I had that whole, I I told you that whole part. Um, I think that it shows a, a real marked improvement again on Butcher's skill as a writer. And I enjoy that just as a writer. Like I can't, I can't really separate my enjoyment of the book from my enjoyment of that facet of it. But I think that, yeah, I think it's a very fun book, even outside of my looking at it as a writer. Uh, it's again, what she said, it's paced really well there. It's you constantly want to step onto the next thing because for sure you, you want to know what is going to happen next. You're constantly trying to get back to that other thing. But as soon as you're back to that other side of the story, you're wanting to get back to the one that you were just at. And so it, it he always leaves things in a lurch where you're like, Oh God, what is going to happen now to them? Um, and so I, I'm, I'm very impressed with that as a whole. Damn. My least favorite part of this book is actually probably Asana's part as well. Um, I think that I am it's not as in, it's not as <laughs> I'm not as super into it. But I, as someone who's read the whole series, I see what it's setting up. I see what's coming with it. And so I don't think he it's has a really bad. hard time separating his knowledge of the whole series. Yeah, it's it's very hard. But that, separating my knowledge of the whole series, I think that that is probably the weakest part. Okay. But to me, it's still very fun. All the intrigue, like you said, it, a lot of this feels like um, a little bit like an episode of Game of Thrones, where there's the politics and all mm-hmm. that, and all the inner character stuff that's going on there. I and I think that he handles that pretty well. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, you know what? Specifically, it is that revelation at the end. I do feel like it kind of has a thud to it. It just, um, well, and that is a, 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 a well, revelation from Isana. Um, what revelation? I feel she, like we didn't talk about it. We didn't. Um, Tavi is Isana's son. Rather than it, she's. <laughs> it's not his. Okay. It's not his Tavi's, aunt. Yeah, it's Tavi, his mother. Isana okay. has been is called his aunt this whole time, but he's actually his mother. Why and the real care? revelation of it exactly. is the real revelation of the situation is Tavi is Gaius's grandson. Gaius's grandson. Isana had a relationship with uh, Septimus, who was the prince at the time before he died. Tavi is the offspring of that. Tavi like is in line to the throne. Problem is he's got no fury. So if they tried to put him on the throne, he'd just get killed like mm-hmm. instantly. Um, so it, there's a whole situation. But Tavi that. doesn't know any of that. And like all of those revelations come in the epilogue area and yeah. it, they just fell really flat. They, they do feel pretty flat, but okay. I do like, like they should where, have been really wah, wah. like, wow. I, yeah. They I, weren't. I do feel like it will, it leads into interesting places in later books, but yeah. If it leads it, the, into the, interesting places in later books, then have those revelations in later books. I mean, it's set up dun, in, dun, like dun, there's dun. a lot of stuff that sets it up to you. Like it, you, you should be putting this together. You by already now. know this. Like, yeah. right. But if you're putting it together in your head, but the revelations themselves don't carry any impact, it then sucks. let it stay in your head. And then later on when it has impact, show I it to us the, and let us go, Oh, I called it from the last book. Oh, cool. I think the specific revelation of him being Isana's son rather than his than her being his aunt, that has a thud to it. I don't think that the revelation that da- Tavi is actually someone who could theoretically become the, the first, first lord. lord eventually has a thud to it. I think that that is like an, oh, okay, I'm, I want to see how you're going to handle that. Um, I think it could be handled better, though. My favorite part about this book... Oh, that's hard. Uh, Daroga is great. He's very, for similar reasons to Katai. Like he's yeah, also someone who's very super great. blunt. But I think that I'm, what I'm going to say is the interpersonal relationship between characters. Char- the friendships in this book are fantastic because they they have a great dialogue to them where characters are constantly giving each other shit, but it's in that friendly like uh, way where you're like making fun of someone, but you're actually still friends, like that kind of thing. And it's super charming and it really makes you care about these characters in a way 
that if you didn't have that level of uh, excellent dialogue between them, that it's not just exposition, like that kind of thing, the book would not work nearly as well or not be nearly as fun. So that is my favorite part of it. Um, overall, I think I'm going to actually go uh, along with um, with uh, Michael here and give this a 3.5, a 3.5 of undead zombie werewolves out of five. Hey, that's the one yeah. I used. <laughs> oh, was it? Yeah. Shit. Uh, I'm going to give this three and a half giant super cave badgers out of five. <laughs> All right, um, there you go. It's just a super fun book. I, I again, I recommend this one. Um, go read the first one first. Slog through that first boring bit, <laughs> just so you can get to this one. Just so you can get to the cool moments in this. Or book, that if would you be don't feel it. like slogging, you know, listen to our podcast instead because it's not a slog. It's very entertaining. <laughs> it is, but I would also recommend you just go ahead and read the book because it's worth it. Sure. Uh, if you'd like to find more of what's worth it. You can listen to our podcasts on our website, opinionatedpodcast.com. Additionally, we're on social media at OpinionCast on Twitter and OpinionatedPodcast on Facebook. Feel, re- feel free to reach out to us at our email address, OpinionatedMovieReviews at gmail.com. We love hearing from you guys, whether it's your thoughts on our episodes or suggestions for what we should watch or read in the future. Uh, if you get a chance, please leave us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcasting app you use. Between that and you sharing us with your friends, it's the best way we have of getting out to new listeners. We always appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, we're opinionated. Thanks for listening.